Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. This is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm very excited about today's show. Today, I'll be joined by Joe Polizzi, who's the author of Epic Content Marketing and the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, and we're going to talk about how to use content to attract people to your business. I'm also going to share a Facebook tip, and I have a very exciting announcement for you. Let's go ahead and transition over to that tip right now. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. Have you ever tried to share something from your blog onto Facebook and for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to pull in on Facebook all the right information? I know it's extremely frustrating and I've discovered a brand new plugin that can help you radically improve your WordPress website content and how it appears on Facebook. And let me just give you a little bit of background. It's known as Facebook Open Graph, which is the technology behind the scenes that looks at content and tries to pull in the title and the description and all that fun stuff. And when you don't have on your website something tagged with the Open Graph tags on it, oftentimes Facebook doesn't know what to do. Sometimes it'll pull in old or erroneous information and you'll be really confused and really won't know how to deal with it. As a matter of fact, I was recently fiddling with one of our pages on our site for an upcoming event, and for the life of me, I couldn't get the old information cleared out that Facebook saw. So whenever anybody would hit the Facebook share button or the like button, the content that got shared was not correct. It was old because it had been a page that I've used in the past. So I did a little searching, and what I discovered was a really cool plugin called WP, that's capital WP, Open Graph, WP Open Graph by Nick Yurov. Y-U-R-O-V. And I'm going to include a link to this in the show notes. Basically what it does is when you install this plugin into your WordPress on every single post and on every single page, it'll show you a little summary of what the data will look like when shared inside of Facebook. They call it a Facebook snippet preview. And what's really great is you can go ahead and edit that. On, underneath the, the preview, it shows you the title and the description and you can go ahead and edit that yourself. And it's a really, really powerful thing. Now, there's something else I want to share with you related to this, which is Facebook has a debugging tool. And when you go to the Facebook debugger, and I will also include a link in the show notes, but it's basically developers.facebook.com slash tools slash debug. And again, don't worry, wait for the show notes. When you paste a URL in here and you hit the debug button, up will come a bunch of information about your particular URL. Oftentimes, it'll show errors 
and you can kind of ignore most of that stuff. But in particular, what you want to look at are what are called the object properties. This is uh, the type of article, the title of it, the graphic that it's going to pull in, and the description. And in particular, you want to look at the description. And this is what this plugin helps you control is the title and the description. What's really cool about this particular debugger is it also acts as the ability to clear Facebook's cache. So if you ever go ahead and change something on a page of yours uh, with OpenGraph, and for whatever reason, Facebook doesn't see it, and this, by the way, transcends the plugin that I'm talking about. This is if you're a coder and you're listening and you you put OpenGraph code inside of your, your HTML, and for whatever reason, Facebook is still pulling up the old content, you just simply go to this debugger, paste in the URL, and it will actually effectively clear Facebook's copy, its old copy of all that data, and instead insert the new copy. And uh, these two things combined, using this plugin along with this debugger tool, allows you to control how things look um, on Facebook. And I know it's a little technical of a tip, but I'm hoping some of you that are listening right now are like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was looking for. All right, two other things. This week, I did not include a caller question, but I do want to tell you how you can leave your questions for possible inclusion in a future podcast. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. And when you go to the website, uh, there'll be an option that says something along the lines of click here to leave us a voicemail. It'll take you to a page and using your computer, you can simply leave us a very short question. If we like your question, we will include it in a future episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast and also um, cross-link and reference you in the blog post on Social Media Examiner. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Joe Polizzi. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Joe Polizzi. If you don't know who Joe is, he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute and also Content Marketing World, which is a big conference that just recently took place. And he's also author of the brand new book, Epic Content Marketing. Joe, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So today, Joe and I are going to explore the power of content marketing. Now, Joe, recently Chipotle Mexican Grill came out with a really interesting and somewhat controversial video called The Scarecrow. And as of this recording, it's literally only been out a week. And it's been viewed by more than five and a half million people. And the essence of the video is it shows a scarecrow working for a big corporation that's in the business of processing food. And along through the process of the video, for folks who haven't seen it, the scarecrow begins to realize that he doesn't like the world in which he's in and decides to go ahead and make things with um, healthy alternatives. And in the, at the end of the video, they introduce uh, a, a video game in particular that people can participate in. And then there's just a tiny little mention in the last second of uh, Chipotle Mexican Grill. I guess the first question is, and this has gotten a ton of press, is this content marketing? And if so, why? Can you talk about it a little bit? Well, first of all, I think it, first anybody who hasn't seen it needs to take a look at it. 
it's it's simply uh, you know I think it pulls at the heartstrings a little bit. Which if you can do that in marketing, you're doing a good thing. And most people think that this is a new thing for Chipotle, but they've actually this is the second time they've done something like this. Uh, if you're familiar, Mike, they did something called uh, Back to the Start in 2011. Yeah, I remember seeing Will, that. Willie, yeah, Willie Nelson was speaking in the background, and it was a it was a similar movement. And you know, we get a lot of questions, Mike, about you know, is this content marketing or is it creative advertising? Uh, if you would have just asked me about their first one in 2011, I probably would have said, you know, it's it's creative marketing, it's creative advertising. Doesn't really constitute content marketing because it's more of a one-time thing. It's it's a one-time program campaign. Now that you really see, and, and they're kind of pulling the covers back, and Chipotle showing you the overall program, you can see this is a an approach to storytelling. This is full-fledged content marketing. And what they're really trying to do is they're telling a bigger story. They're, they're telling something that is bigger than Chipotle, and they're not talking about their products and services. So I would put this, um, I think you're going to see more of this. So I think that one of the keys to content marketing is consistency. Are we taking a 24-7 you know, approach to telling stories to attract and retain customers? And obviously, this is what Chipotle is doing. And I think they found their bigger story, and they've really be, begun a movement around this. And I think that's what is differentiating this from some of the other creative advertising programs you're going to see. And what's really intriguing about the whole thing is um, the production quality is completely off the charts. I mean, this is like Disney quality um, animation. And um, they got, I think it's Fiona Apple, if I'm not mistaken, to sing. That's um, right. I forget what the song is, but it's 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 the song that they sing in Willy Wonka, you know. Yeah. And um, it, it, everything about it is just so fascinating that when you watch this, you're, you're drawn into it. And it's, it's like three and a half minutes long. And, and that is very long in the world of, of YouTube and the world of videos. And um, as far as I know, I don't think this thing was released in any kind of traditional channels. I think this was strictly released on YouTube. Do you know anything about the backstory on that? No, I mean, you're right. They basically just released it similar to the way they did. Now, what they did with the first one in 2011, that part of that became a commercial. They did a 30-second spot mm. of that, and you could see the full two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute rendition with the whole Willie Nelson singing in the background for the first one. This one, they just let it into the wild. Uh, and obviously, you said that they're promoting a video game, so this is definitely multi-platform. It's not just a video. What I love about it is, and you know this, I mean, Netflix knows this through House of Cards. We know this through any type of content. If you're telling a good story, it doesn't matter how long it is. We can tell everybody, they, you know, we could say, oh, no, if you're going to do a YouTube video, it needs to be no more than two minutes. And now you, I'm even seeing ones that say, oh, it needs to be 60 seconds, 90 seconds. You know, if you're telling a good story, it doesn't matter how long it is. I mean, they could have gone on for another couple of minutes with that. And I don't think anybody would have cared. Yeah. And what's really intriguing about this thing is, um, it is somewhat controversial because they do, for example, show uh, a factory where this scarecrow works and they show um, things that are a little bit disturbing to the scarecrow. For example, they show that they're injecting a chicken and it's getting double the size, you know, and all these kinds of things. They're, they're taking some very risky stances with this video against um, manufactured food, um, you know, genetically modified foods, um, hormonal injections, all this kind of stuff, but they do it in such an entertaining way and it's educational at the same time. So it's controversial, it's entertaining and it's educational. And, 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 and we should also comment about how the Chipotle brand 
is barely mentioned in this thing, right? You see the scarecrow grabbing a a, a chili pepper shaped like the Chipotle um, a logo. And then at the very end, for like a second, you see Chipotle Mexican Grill. Um, comment a little bit about the connection between the content and the brand and what they're doing here. You know, it's it's funny, and you saw the same article that I did, that they agonized over whether or not to put that chili pepper in at the end of that because they didn't know if that was too promotional for Chipotle, which I love, right? They're agonizing over, should we actually talk about our products and services in this? And I mean, that's what makes a good, you know, if you're really trying to focus on how to create epic content marketing, you have to realize that the less you talk about your products and services, the more those things are going to be shared, the more that story is going to be told over and over by the people you're trying to impact. And I think that's what they've learned. I mean, when you look at, you know, if you sit down and you engage in this video, you know that, wow, that whoever's putting this video on, this movement on, is, is talking about good food, locally and responsibly sourced, and they've come up with a truly unique story. And it's what's so ingenious about it is this is bigger than, than Chipotle. They have introduced their, th- you know, them being a part of this approach or this mission that they could never, ever do through saying, you know, use this coupon or, you know, buy from us or, you know, eat our, you know, Mexican food or whatever. You'd never get that. But they're saying, look, this is what we stand for. I think that's the biggest thing, especially if anybody listening to this, if you're thinking about what stories you should tell, the stories should not be about you, right? They should be about something that you stand for that makes a difference in your customers' lives or your customers' jobs. And boy, did they hit the nail on the head with this one. And I, I just think I, I, what I love about this, Mike, is I think you're going to see more of this. I would see in another six months, nine months, 12 months, you'll see another one of these roll around and, and you'll see them more getting a part of this mission that I think is so critical to their long-term success. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the um, the press that they've gotten off of this. I mean, they've gotten the equivalent of millions of dollars in press coverage just by putting this thing together. I mean, I don't think there's a marketer on the planet that hasn't probably heard, seen this somehow show up in their Facebook newsfeed or, you know, see all the major online publications that are writing about this. Um, is that a typical side effect of really good content marketing? Everyone starts talking about it and all of a sudden they're evangelizing it for you? I think it can be. I, I, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Remember, when you talk about content marketing, you have lots of different goals. Right. This goal was clearly they wanted to get this out in, into social media and have this thing spread. And I'm sure they're delighted with the, with the results of this program. But, you know, I mean, I've done you know, this is years ago, Mike. I mean, I did content marketing programs that were targeted at just 200 people. Wow. And the only goal of that was to have them read a book. This was for Hewlett Packard at the time. It's like they, they just gave every one of these 200 really important customers a book. And they wanted them to read this book and then reach out. That's really all they wanted to do. So it really depends on what your goals are. For, but from that standpoint, fantastic. I mean, great stories can travel. Uh, I would also say, you know, I think that what's very rare about this is you do usually see mar- big marketing put behind this in some way, which I actually think is a great idea. I mean, most of the companies that we talk to, they think they create a great blog post and it just should be spread all over the place because they think it's good. Well, actually, most companies that are out there, if you look at, you know, what American Express has done with Open Forum or, you know, what we've done at CMI in some cases, you know, we do put a little bit of marketing behind the stories. And I think that can work because you got to give it a little bit of steroids and why not? Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, I, I think that, um, 
this scarecrow video is going to go down in history as one of those amazing pieces of content marketing that was brilliantly executed. And for those that haven't seen it, I'll make sure to have links in the show notes. So Joe, let's, let's step back for a second and um, talk about how content marketing works. Can you kind of explain what's the fundamentals of how content marketing actually functions? Well, I think the easiest way, if, if anybody's new to content marketing, the easiest way to think about it is instead of interrupting my customers with, let's say, an advertisement or a sponsorship and using somebody else's audience. So I'm, I'm basically renting somebody else's channel. So I'm going to buy an ad on a you know, display ad on a website or an ad in a magazine or a radio spot or something like that and try to say, hey, I know you're paying attention to this really important information, but I'm going to distract you for a little bit because I want you to buy my stuff. So that's what we've traditionally done for the last 50 years in advertising. Content marketing is, you know, instead of distracting, I want to be the content. I'm going to be that valuable, relevant, and compelling content. I'm going to deliver it on a consistent basis because ultimately I feel if I do that and if I can grow a relationship with you because you see me as the trusted resource for that content, you're going to buy more from me. So that may look like um, a daily blog. It may look like a podcast like the one we're on right now. It may look like a quarterly magazine. It may look like a weekly newsletter. It can look like a lot of different things. It may look like a television show. You never know these days. So I think that's the difference where you actually want to be the producer of the content that's going to enhance or maintain behavior in some way instead of and actually creating an asset, which I think is critically important these days, and looking at your content as an asset instead of looking at your uh, marketing as an expense like we've been doing for so many years. So really what I hear you saying is that um, content marketing is when businesses start thinking like publishers. That's that's the easiest way. When I, I just did a speech yesterday, Mike, and that's exactly the way I explained it. I said, if you really want the simplest definition, you are basically transforming yourself into a publishing operation, at least for this objective, and you are going to deliver compelling content to a defined readership. Let's just say readership, because if you think about it from a reader standpoint, then you're thinking, wow, you know, maybe I should be positioning myself as the go-to resource in this industry. I often say... You know, what if you were the leading trade magazine in your niche? Because I know we have a lot of small businesses that listen to this, and I like to use that as an example. What if you were the magazine or the newsletter or the blog post that they just anticipated? And the problem is, Mike, is that most of us aren't set up that way. We weren't trained that way. We weren't trained as publishers. We, we were trained as marketers. We weren't trained as storytellers. So that's why you're seeing with a lot of companies, they're, they're going through a lot of pain right now. Uh, and that's sort of a natural progression as we see this transform, transformation from marketing departments into into publishing entities. Yeah, I love it. Um, so for those who are listening right now and are wondering, where do I start with, when it comes to coming up with a content strategy, especially to those who know they need it but aren't doing anything right now, where's the starting point, Joe? Well, the start, it starts and ends with the same thing. It's who is your buyer? Like a real deep understanding of who you're trying to communicate with. Now, from there, once you have that, so once you know that main buyer, and by the way, I know a lot of B2B companies might be listening to this. You might have six, seven, or eight buyers. So really, talk. let's talk about the one that you're going to target with your content. That's usually the main buyer, the main decision maker. From that, Mike, you, there's really two whys. I call them the two whys, which is just easy for me to talk about. It's what is your objective? By the way, 
you know, creating more organic traffic, traffic to your website is not an objective. That's a metric. I mean, what is your objective? What is your goal? Are you trying? And we'll get, we might talk about this in a little we'll ta- bit. Yeah, give a couple of examples yeah, of what a good objective goals. is. A good, a good objective is you're trying to shorten the sales cycle for people buying your product. Okay. Uh, it, could be, um, it could be driving more quality leads into the pipeline. That is a really good goal to have. It might be keeping customers longer. It might be having customers buy more things. Getting people, on, uh, getting, uh, you know, growing your list by a certain size. Would that growing, be an objective? Growing your, growing, and, and that's, that's, that could be a, that's a really good indicator to an objective. So it could be growing your list by a certain size because if you grow your list by a certain size, you might know something about your list that, you know, you get more people on your list, they're going to buy more things if you have a percentage worked out for that. Gotcha. So those are, you know, that's your one why is, why are you doing this in the first place? And you'd be surprised. No, you probably aren't. You run into it all the time, just like I do. The amount of people that start things like blogs and Facebook pages and Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and have no idea why they're doing it. So the first thing is... Well, I'll tell you what. They know why they're doing it because everyone else is doing it. Wow. (laughs) And and that's not necessarily necessarily the smartest reason why. I know. That's not a good why at all. So let's, let's focus on that's the one why. And then you've got to mesh that with what is the outcome for that buyer? That person that you're targeting, that's a real human being, what is their outcome? How are you trying to help them with their lives or their jobs in some way? And we call this the content marketing mission statement, that you should always really focus on what that outcome is for the audience. And I'll give you an example. Let's just say that you, let's talk about Inc. Magazine. I know it's a publisher entity, but a lot of the people on this call might have read an Inc. article before Inc. Magazine. Their goal is to help uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs be more profitable. So every piece of content they create, you get the feeling when you're engaging in that, that, wow, this is really trying to help me be more profitable as a business because they're giving me very useful information and sometimes entertain, entertaining information. Well, you know what happens when you do that? You actually read more of that content and then you end up going to Inc. events and buying things from Inc. or supporting that magazine so that they can get revenue off it from sponsorship or paid content or whatever, and it drives their objectives. So it's the same thing that we want to figure out. It's the same. So the question you want to ask is, why would somebody engage in your content? How is that going to affect my business? What's different tomorrow? And that's how you really figure out that why. So if you're signing up for a Facebook page and you don't have a clear why you're actually doing that, whether that's going to drive more people to sign up for your list so that you have an owned asset, or maybe it's a customer retention tool, or whatever the case is, then you should probably not look at that channel again and look at that tactic and really take a step back and say, why are we really doing this in the first place? Okay, so once you've figured out the why, what's the next step? How does someone determine you know, uh, when they're putting a content strategy together, what to do after they've clearly defined that? Well, I think once you define your mission, and this is the way that I would think about it, and it doesn't matter what size you are, what can you be the leading expert in the world at? I mean, I really do believe this, Mike, and and a lot of people will say, no, you don't have to. I think for most of us, where can we tell our story that's what's so virtually unique, it sets us apart from everyone else? And on the B2B side, that might be to be extremely useful in a niche. On the B2C side, it might be extremely helpful like Charmin has that sitter squat app mm-hmm. which so you could, where you can find you know bathrooms clean bathrooms wherever you're at which is very useful if you have kids 
especially or, or if you need to use a bathroom a lot while you're out there. Very useful. Right. Very incredibly. So that that's how they're separating themselves from that. We should I just think, explain what the sitter squat thing is. It's an app, I believe, that tells you whether or not this bathroom has been rated <laughs> clean, right? Isn't that the idea? That, that That's exactly right. So, um, so from that standpoint, figure out what that niche is. And then what you can do is you can then really build an editorial program around that. And you can figure out which is going to be the best tools to tell that story in. Does that mean that you're going to uh, create a blog? Uh, and by the way, anything that you do has to be consistent and can't be one-off. And if you were to ask me, Joe, why do most content marketing programs fail? Um, the number one reason outside of the fact that most of them talk about their products and services, which nobody cares about, the next uh, reason would be because they stop. And I've seen it happen all the time. If you look at IBM research, 85% of corporate blogs have five or less posts. That, I'll let that, let that sink in for a little bit. Yeah, that's crazy. We're, well, we as marketers, we create lots of stuff and we don't continue on. And content is a promise to our customers. We have to keep that promise. So then we figure that out. Now, that's why you need a long timetable. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, how long does it take for content marketing to work? I said, well, as long as it takes. And, but the thing is, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It never ends. And if you have an outlook that's less than six months, that's way too short. You've got to, I mean, I don't know how long it took you, but it took, <laughs> it took us about three years to really, really make it work. Yeah, we now, were we were pretty successful quickly by most people's standards, but I'd been setting the stage for years, you know what I mean, behind the scenes. Um, and this stuff does take time. And I know that, for example, with mykidsadventures.com, we are um, it's a slow process and we have to just remind ourselves that Rome wasn't built in a day. New York Times didn't become the leading newspaper in New York overnight. You know what I mean? None of this stuff happens overnight. It is a lot of work. But the spoils go to the to to the players, and what I love about what you're talking about, Joe, and what I want everyone to think about, is that in the olden days, we had to pay somebody because they already had the audience. We had to pay to get on the radio to be heard. We had to pay to get on um, television. We had to pay to get into these magazines by putting very expensive display ads. Even today, we have to pay Google to show up and search. Or we have to pay Facebook to get Facebook to show our darn posts, you know, because only 16% show up in the newsfeed. But when you own your medium or your media or your platform, um, you don't have to necessarily pay anyone. This podcast doesn't cost us a cent. And we're reaching tens of thousands of people every week. Our blog costs us next to nothing. We have complete control of it over it and we own it. YouTube you know, it, um, Chipotle didn't have to pay YouTube a dime to get that video up on YouTube. So this is what I think is so exciting about what you're talking about, because this now is the great equalizer. Because the technology is available for any of us to take on any of these mediums, we can be very, very successful. And it's it's an exciting time. Don't you agree, Joe? Well, you hit the nail on the head. And I think if anybody's going to take anything away from what we're talking about is if you build a loyal audience, magic can happen. It's amazing. In any business. In any, and that's where I think that we have to think differently. And I just, just recently, Mike, I talked to uh, a number of um, manufacturing marketers that they were very, you know, they have their sales channel, very sales driven, and they looked at leads and they looked at, at leads as like not even people. Just like, okay, how do we get it into the funnel? And then we got to get these off to sales ready leads and move it fast enough. And what I, what I was trying to get across to them, which hopefully we did, and we talked about, look, 
what we want to do is build an audience that is so incredibly loyal, they don't mind that you sell to them on occasion. <laughs> I mean, that's really what we want. I mean, what I love, I mean, you saw Jonathan Mildenhall, who's basically the chief content officer for Coca-Cola. He says it all the time. He says, if we can build an emotional connection with our customers through amazing storytelling, I can trade on that less and less. I, they don't, they're not going to mind. Then on occasion, I want to sell them a Coca-Cola because I'm giving them such value all the time. So I think that if we think about it that way and we build an audience, we can do some amazing, amazing things. And it starts with, well, how do we consistently deliver that content? And then I don't even know if you want to talk about it, but and you did do this fantastic. We do this as well, where you can really build an audience by going out to influencers in your industry and having them help deliver audience to you so that you can build your own subscriber base. Okay. I'm going to take the bait here and I want to talk to you about let's, let's, let's tear apart Joe Polizzi's organization and let's literally talk about, um, assuming one of your objective is to drive people to your conference content marketing world, um, kind of lay out the whole picture of how the content marketing kind of ties into that whole objective. So everyone can understand how it works for you and maybe they can think about how it could work for them. Sure. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to do that, Mike. So the, the thing to realize is, is let's, our big revenue and profit-making machine for Content Marketing Institute is our event, Content Marketing World. We do a lot of things that don't make money directly, but they all have to do with building an audience. So the first thing we do is we develop a daily blog post every day on something either very how-to oriented or something inspirational that we feel that the market needs to know. So that's every day, seven days a week. Now let's pause there for a second because this is a multi-author blog and this is not necessarily just written by people that work for you. So elaborate a little bit on that. That's right. So we have, um, we actually have three editors on staff. We have uh, one managing editor that oversees that content, uh, working with the different authors and getting that in there. We have a proofreader for everything. And then we have sort of a content director, but that the, our managing editor, Jody Harris, she works with um, influencers from all areas and, and thought leaders and people that have an interesting take on content. And we want to get their content on our site. And we want it for two reasons. One, we want really valuable content that's going to help our audience. But the other thing is we want to have influencers on the site so they can help spread this message that's on our site to their audience so that we can start to convert some of their audience over to our audience. So classic influencer strategy. Yeah, and let's elaborate on that a little bit. What Joe's really saying here is that um, oftentimes when you build a blog like Joe has and it becomes a hub in the industry, um, lots of people want to be seen there and um, for a couple of reasons, because they want to be in front of that audience, but also because others are writing there. And uh, it kind of becomes a win-win all around. The people that write for your blog, Joe, are excited to write for your blog and hoping to impress you. And one of the carrots that they hope is that if they write for your blog and it's popular down the road, they might be able to come speak at your conference. So all these things, frankly, are interconnected, are they not? Oh, absolutely. So a lot of our contributors actually do become speakers. Uh, they become contributors to some of our webinars that we do. They come and we do a, a number of eBooks as well that they're contributors to. I mean, really the, the, the thing that I love to hear, and you, you've heard it as well for you, cause you have a multi-author blog as well for social media examiner. You see the same things. I love it when somebody comes back to me and says, I just scored a six figure deal because I wrote a post on your site. Or I just I mean, got I, a, or I just got a book deal, right? I mean, I just got a book deal. Or anything like that. I mean, if we can help, I mean, we're trying to raise the industry together. And if we can do that, that's the, that goes back to Chipotle, right? This is something bigger than us. 
I mean, our mission, like our content marketing mission statement, because we have one, is advancing the art and science of content marketing. We do that a number of ways. Sometimes we, ha we do it with, um, we talk about things that we know are not going to get a lot of traffic, but we feel we should because this is bigger than us. Okay, so you're drawing, you're drawing thought leaders to you and you're drawing your ideal audience to you because these thought leaders are writing for you and, and a percentage of these people become fans or get on your email list. And What else are you doing and how does that all tie ultimately to the conference? This is the best part about it. And this is just as we've gotten more savvy and started using better tools and we just got into marketing automation and really a little bit better at our email marketing. But we have almost, I mean, you have many more subscribers than we do, Mike, but we have, we have about 60,000 subscribers now, which we're very, very happy with. That we've, it's taken us about three years to get That's awesome. to that level. And what we found is that 90% of those subscribers um, our revenue comes from, from our subscriber base. 90% of our revenue, revenue comes from people that first were subscribers for the most part, at least six months. Now let's pause on that for a second. What this means is that, um, people that are buying whatever it is you have to sell are predominantly people that have, um, been fed at your trough on a regular basis, not people that you had to go out and advertise to get to come to your conference. Is that what I hear you saying? That's exactly right. And this that's a huge return on investment, isn't it? Well, this is what, this is why it's so critical that we get the, con we get them to subscribe first because they have to trust us. Right. They have to believe that we are the trusted experts in this thing. We know what we're doing. And then they start to engage in that content and then they start to buy our products. No, but I, and honestly, I don't want somebody to just come to my site and say, oh, I'm going to, it wouldn't make them, it would, it's a considered purchase. It would make no sense for them to buy right off the bat. But if I can get them to sign up and then prove kind of our worthiness and help them with their jobs, then when they come back and they have a need and they say, oh, I need to sign up for an event or, oh, I need this special report or I need this research. They come to us and they buy from us, and that's what I—that's where the magic does happen. Well, this is a really good example of kind of how it all connects to the business bottom line, and I think that's awesome. Joe, let's talk about um, social media and content. I often refer to social media and content as brother and sister. What are your thoughts? Do you think um, social media has helped content become more popular? Do you think content is important when it comes to social? What's the connection between these two? Well, I'll tell you a funny. I'll tell and it's you funny, funny to hear the two of us ask this question because <laughs> we kind of already have an opinion well, on this. But well, here's ahead. the: if you, we do a little, we do a little bit of consult. About ten percent of our business is consulting, and we consult with mostly Fortune one thousand companies. Most of the time, we're coming in to help them with their content marketing strategies because their social is all screwed up. I mean, really, that's the because think about it this way. This is what most of the customers we deal with are doing. They are creating, think about if somebody was creating a magazine. It's almost like they're taking a, let's say, a 64 page magazine and it's blank. It's got no, nothing on the pages, nothing at all. There's no content strategy at all. So, in order for social to work, we have to have something interesting to say that's going to move people to want to share that content. And for the most part, and you know this is true, even though social media is, boy, it's, it's coming in of age now. It's, we're getting more mature in our social media. Most of the companies we deal with are still talking about themselves. They're still doing Me Too content. And it's content that's not inherently shareable or special in any way. And that's not going to be good for business. It might actually hurt your business. 
So before we go into any of those social channels, we've got to figure out, talk, go back again, talk about what are those buyers' informational needs? What are their pain points? How are we going to create this conversation through social? And we have to t- talk about something that's going to make an impact on their lives that's also going to tie to our business. So I think, yeah, I mean, you could say brother and sister. I would say that don't get into social media until you first have a content strategy. Yeah, and I think they're really tied at the hip, frankly. You know, um, I think that um, the best forms of social media marketing are the ones that are driving people to something where they can engage or interact or consume. And that's really where the content um, becomes powerful. And I know that's been the secret to our success. And I know that's been the secret to your success. So those that are listening that are involved with social media right now, if you are only focused on engaging people on your Facebook page, then at the end of the day, you're really leasing rented land, aren't you, Joe? Oh, I love to. <laughs> you used one of my favorite lines, Mike. Uh, I, I just said this yesterday. We were talking about somebody was saying, oh, I really want to grow my Facebook fans and my Twitter followers. And I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But remember, your Facebook fans are owned by Facebook, your Twitter followers are owned by Twitter, and your LinkedIn fans or likes or whatever you want to call them these days are owned by LinkedIn. They're not owned by you. So what we really want to do is create an asset. So you've really got to focus on, and I would say, how do those Facebook fans, you know, Twitter followers, SlideShare fans, whatever the case is, how do you convert those into your own audience? And I think that's, that's where um, you see businesses that are moving ahead in content marketing really make strides. Let's talk about the um, tracking and measuring of content marketing. I'm sure a lot of people right now that are listening are like, this all sounds really exciting. And you said that there's a really long, you know, you're in it for a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, What should businesses and marketers in particular be tracking and measuring to know whether their content marketing is moving the needle or not? Okay, so I'm going, this is. (laughs) <laughs> I have a chapter in the book that's about 40 pages long on this. Give, us, going, the, give us the abstract. <laughs> I'm going to give you the 30-second version of this. Here's the, and this is, if you are a marketer in, in any size enterprise, who has ever, you know, whoever you're reporting to only cares about three things when it comes to content. Is it driving sales? Is it saving us costs? Or is it creating happier customers? Your objectives have to come from one of those three things. And there's, we talked about them, right? You could, it could be lead generate, demand generation. It could be things about customer retention. Whatever your goals are when it comes to content has to be those things. We have all kinds of indicators that help us get to, and point into those directions. So if you're, you, know, you really need to ask yourself, what are, what's different about the people that engage in my content versus those that don't? And I just gave you the example before about our subscriber database. We know that people that subscribe to our database on an average of six months or more buy at much more frequent levels than those that don't. And that's just our example. And that if you look at a company like an OpenView Labs, oh, I'm sorry, OpenView Venture Partners that has a great content platform called OpenView Labs, and I would suggest anybody go check those out, what they found out is they've been able to drive more leads and, slow, and shorten the sales process because people are subscribed to their newsletter through their content on their blog. So that's what they found out. So really what you want to ask is, what is the difference between somebody that gauges in your content versus somebody that, that doesn't? The challenge is, Mike, is you know, we could talk about you know, doing YouTube videos and white papers and all that, 
the best way, the easiest way to show that you're having an impact with your content is actually to have a subscriber database. If you don't have a subscriber database, you're using a lot of qualitative uh, information to show that. And then if you're a big company, you can do a lot of other things. But I think the most, the, the best way to go, Mike, is to say, how can I build that audience and then show what's different from what my audience is doing versus those that don't. And then I think it'll open your eyes as to the possibilities for content marketing and social media. Well, folks, um, I just want to say that Joe Polizzi, in my mind, is one of the leading authorities in the world on content marketing. He and I go way back. And um, I strongly recommend you pick up a copy of his latest book, Epic Content Marketing. And you'll love the fact that the cover kind of looks like the Star Wars, you know, with the words kind of disappearing into the background. Um, And I, I, I definitely suggest you get a copy of it. I know it's literally brand new, just out. Joe, can you tell folks where they can find out more about you and about your latest book, Epic Content Marketing? Sure. Um, I mean, epiccontentmarketing.com is the place to go. We've got a free chapter on that, a couple free downloads uh, if you're if you're nervous about buying it. Um, but I, I appreciate you having me on, Mike. I mean, the one thing about the book is that we made it so that A through Z, you could create a content marketing strategy, integrate social, and measure it. So hopefully it is that full a resource for anybody looking to get into it. And then if anybody wants to get a hold of me personally, the easiest way is on Twitter at Joe Polizzi. And then uh, the business is contentmarketinginstitute.com. Joe Polizzi, author of the awesome new book, Epic Content Marketing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Mike. Anytime, my friend. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. Um, I know it's a lot of fun talking to Joe and he's just really a brilliant guy. Okay, a couple quick things. Uh, I know we mentioned a lot of things in today's podcast that you may want to reference. So be sure to check out the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 61. Once you go there, you'll be able to leave your comments. You'll be able to discover everything we talked about, all the links, all the resources, the whole shebang. Also, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you haven't already done so, I would love a review, especially if you are an Apple or iOS user. Uh, please visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. While you're there, you can hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And also click on the ratings and reviews, and we would love a star rating. And if you're so inclined, a written review. This does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.